want to take a moment right now, and I want to ask you to bow your heads, if you will, and close your eyes. And I want us to take this quiet time and prepare our hearts for what I believe God has to say to us this morning. Our church verse says that now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. God's talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. So right now I want you to personally take a few moments here this morning and ask God to give you a clear mind this morning, to set aside all the distractions, all the business of our world, to set aside all the things that we carried in here this morning, maybe that uh, didn't have to do with just focusing on God. And I want to ask you this morning, by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you asked for the Holy Spirit to fill you up this morning, that you would have a singular focus, but also that God this morning would speak to you in a personal, powerful, life-changing way. Take these four moments in prayer right now. Father, in the stillness of these moments, we want to be still and know that you are God. Father, we want to clear our mind, have a singular focus this morning, Father. Lord, I pray personally for myself, Lord, that I'd enter into your throne this morning, Father. I pray that you'd forgive me of my sins, Father, the times that I fall short of the mark that you've established. Father, I pray right now that I'd stay out of your way this morning. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit, Father, would precede me, that every heart would be open to you. And Father, I say this so often, Father, but this morning I pray right now that every one of us would leave this room in just a little bit changed yet again for eternity, Father. We leave here different than the way we came in this morning. Father, speak to our hearts this morning, Lord, that we might know you. Know you in a greater way, Father. That we might truly have a hunger and thirst for you, Father. That we would seek you first in our life, Father. Lord, that we would no longer lead our own life, Lord, but we'd be led by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we just saw this little video, Father, and we realized, Lord, that you're so capable of taking a little church in the middle of nowhere, Father, and doing great and mighty things just because you can. Father, I pray right now that you'd see fit sometime in the near future, Father, to use our church to do that, Father, that we would truly make an impact, Lord, a lasting impact on not just a couple of lives, Father, not a few hundred, Father, but we pray for thousands of lives in this state, Father, and around this nation, Father, will be touched by you, Father, because of the desire that we have to seek you with all that we have. Lord, we thank you now once again for this most precious time together. Father, we thank you once again for Jesus Christ. Father, we pray all these things in his holy, holy name. Amen. July 4th, 2008, about 8 o'clock at night, my family and I were up in Washington, D.C. with another family from our church. We were up there to observe the 4th of July celebrations, but also the, the big presentation they make out there, the musical presentation they make in front of the Capitol up there. Got a call on my cell phone. The first call said one of the families in our church had a little baby that was running about a 105 degree temperature, and they were very concerned. And so they were taking that little baby to the hospital. And I said, "I'm going to pray for you, and I'm coming down. So I'm going to stop by the hospital tonight on my way home." Within five minutes, I got a second call, and one of the men in our church had had a heart attack. 
and they were rushing him to the hospital. Told me which hospital. I said, well, I've got another reason to come back, so we'll come back early. Within 10 minutes after that, I got a third call. And three students, young people from our church, were in a horrific, horrible accident. They thought at least of the injuries was one of them was going to lose, lose their arm. And but they were all being, two of them being medevaced, MCV, and the third one was taken by an ambulance. So we packed up our belongings. We were already in the process of doing that, packed up our belongings and headed south. And uh, I called two deacons and asked them if they wouldn't mind go by the two hospitals that I mentioned earlier, the baby and the heart attack. And I said, I was going to go to MCV, and if I got out of there soon enough, I'd pop by the other hospitals too, but keep me in the loop. The deacons offered to do that and volunteered to do that, and I appreciate that. It was one of the evenings where I realized that our church truly had an emergency. When we have emergencies, and I know that you've had them in your life before too, it changes the way we do business at that moment. It calls for some adjustments to our life. I believe most of us today would agree that we have a national spiritual emergency. I don't need to go into the details. I've talked about them numerous times over the years, and we've uh, seen them just recently here with the president is now forcing or trying to force upon the schools, and just uh, we have an emergency in our hands. So it calls for you and I to adjust some things. I believe it tells us that we can no longer do church the way that we've been doing church. We've talked about before about how far we're going to let our country go backwards before we get serious in the church. You can't turn on the TV today without seeing things about the election, about who's running and all the different things they say and who's against who and who's for who. And a lot of people are placing their whole future of America in the hands of whoever's going to be in the White House beginning next year. You all know that's not going to change our nation. What's going to change our nation is who's truly in the church house today. I want to be a little bold this morning, but I believe that we truly need to invite God back into our lives and back into our church. We really do. There's a need right now for revival in this nation and the churches that God has called out to follow Him. God's precious body of believers. You may be saying, well, I've heard the word revival, but does it, what does it really mean? And there's a million different definitions out there, but one of my favorite ones says this. He says it's an extraordinary movement of the Spirit of God that produces extraordinary results. It's an extraordinary movement of the Spirit of God that produces extraordinary results. That's what we need. That's what we need in America today. We need to see God living in His people in such an incredibly decisive, important profound way that we change this nation back for him through his Holy Spirit, through his power. We need to see God show up in a great way. Listen very carefully. I have always believed that God could use this church for revival. It hasn't been some pipe dream. It hasn't been something that's out there that I had thought, thought there's no way that would ever happen at Abraham. Listen, we're so close, I can taste it. I'm here to tell you. God has done an incredible work in this church. We've all seen that have been here any period of time a mighty movement of God in this church. We've seen changed lives upon changed lives upon changed lives. I'm here to tell you as a pastor, I've seen men and women walking in this church that were destroyed lives, but by the grace of God. I've looked at them and said, there's no way I can help this person get this straightened out in their life because they've had so many incredibly hard things happen in their life. There's no way. So no, I know who can. It's God, and I praise God that God has shown me that He's able he truly is able to change lives. Change life after change life. Let me tell you something else that's very precious in this church. I had the privilege this last week of doing a wedding on Wednesday night and a wedding last night. You know who those two people were? They were little children that I saw grow up. From the time they were about eight or nine years old, I saw them grow up in a mature, young adults wanting to get married. What a privilege for me to see these young adults that grew up in this church desiring to do things the right way, desiring to have God first in their life, desiring to have a godly wedding, to get married in a church in the face of God and in front of God and their witnesses and families and things. I like to ask the couples, tell me why you love the other person. 
I got some of the most wonderful answers back. And, you know, the wedding I did last night, both of them said, I love this person most of all because of the way they love God. Just touched my heart. The groom last night also said this about his wife. I love the fact that she wiggles when she eats. There was a couple little funny things there too. I don't know if she thought that was a blessing to hear that. I want you to think about this too. I have to get with my brother Matt here and see if we can figure it out. But just in the last couple of years, I can't even begin to imagine the number of children, young people that we sent overseas to go on mission trips. Some of them by themselves. Going around the world to serve the gospel of Jesus Christ. All the children that have been to Haiti and all the children that have been to some of the other areas that we've gone to before. To see those young people desiring to serve God and go out of their comfort zone. You know, they could hang out in their neighborhoods and hang out with their friends, but they said, no, I want to go see what God would do in my life if I go to some foreign third world country to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. God is at work. I love the fact that he's at work with our children in this church. We've seen God's miracles over and over again. I know you got to see Mike Neal two weeks ago. What, a, what an amazing God story. And he'd give credit to God the whole way through. First and foremost, let me say this, the way he carried himself through that hard time in his life. He was steadfast focused on God. Where did that come from? It came from God. But it also came from associating with you all and realizing what it looks like to live that godly life. We've seen God heal marriages. We've seen God heal families. The greatest healing we've seen, as I've already mentioned, we've seen God change lives and we've seen lost people saved. We've seen people that were blind now have sight. Our folks here in this church have also heard the voice of God. They've had a desire to do greater things for God and they said, hey, how about if we start this ministry, Pastor? How about if we start this ministry, Pastor? I want you just to think about a couple of ministries that God is using you all to touch this world for his cause, to carry the gospel in this world. How about Mission to Virginia? We've been doing that now for 15 years. This year will be our 16th year. Out of the heart to help people, we saw resurrection disaster relief started. It's still going. God's still doing great and marvelous things in those two ministries. Beaverdam Christian Academy, let me tell you about that. God is at work. We've had four families, as best I can count, that have joined our church or are coming to our church now because they have their children here in the school, but also what God is doing in that school. We're going to introduce you in a few weeks with a couple of new players in our school. we got a brand-new principal now. We have a brand-new chairman of the board of our school board in that school. But God is at work, and these young children growing up and learning Christ. You know, I look at that, and then I realize, unfortunately, what's happening many times in the public schools. The fact that we have the privilege of teaching children here in this church, having them for some 40 hours a week and teaching God to them as well as arithmetic and English. We're feeding thousands of people to the food bank back there. Our brand new Great Mighty Things thrift store over here and how that's touching people. Our newest ministry right now is Stepping Stone. How God put that upon a young lady's heart in our church here and she said, hey, I'd like to lead that. Why? Because I've been there before and I saw what God did in my life. I want to introduce God to other ladies that are going through this time right now and see what they might do. Since I'm talking about that, don't miss next Saturday. We'll talk about that in a minute. We're having a festival of hope. What a precious name for that little ministry, uh, Saturday. But we've seen God do great and mighty things. I want to read the email to you that I sent this week. I said, Dear church family, I'm writing to ask you to join me this Sunday for a very important day. We're going to share some important announcements and discuss God's plans for our future. You know, I got one call personally, but I talked to a number of people that got a lot of calls. What's that all about? What's going on? What's going on over there? You know what I love about that? I didn't want to put any fear in anybody, but you know what I loved about that? There was a sense of urgency to figure out what's going on at church. What's going on? What's going to happen? What's going on? I want you to know that it's all good. There's nothing bad. There was some questions about that too. Is something bad going on? But listen, I believe one of the great things we miss as a body of believers in all churches is not having a sense of urgency for the priority of the gospel. Did you hear that? We don't have a sense of urgency for the priority of the gospel. Your pastor's heart 
has been intended to be broken for the lost. I run into so many people that are just devastated by life. I run into them inside the church. I run into them outside the church. Jesus Christ came. Told us personally. He came to set the captives free. To open the doors to the jail. He came to give people life. To give them hope that are hopeless. To give them a future that did not have a future. You know who he left to make sure that message got out? You and I. You and I to let the world know that Jesus Christ is truly the living God. The Son of God Almighty. He gave us an incredible, incredible opportunity to be part of his family business. I want you to think about what he's given us as believers. He's given us the privilege of being his family members. That because he is the king of kings, we're princes and princesses. We're royalty. We're his chosen generation, his own special people, God tells us. We have an incredible relationship with the God of the universe, the God that created everything. We are special. We don't need to be walking around like we're not special because we're fearfully and wonderfully made. We're made in God's image. God has made you and I special. But he also has a very special purpose for you and I. I am calling our church to step up to a brand new level. That's the announcement. I want our church to be all that God has called us to be. I truly do. And I'm here to tell you as your pastor, I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. I've seen it all as your pastor. I've made mistakes along the way too. And I'm, I haven't always been exactly where I wanted to be either in my spiritual walk. And I'm broken when that's not there. But I believe and I would not stand up here in front of you and stand up in here in front of God and, not, and, and tell you this that if I didn't believe with all my heart that God wants to use His church, listen very carefully, to change the world. He really does. I think we already fit some of His parameters. You know, God likes to use the little things to confound the big guys. God's ways are not our ways. And how awesome if He would use another little church just like that one we saw in that video in West Virginia, a little church in Beaverdam. Where? I asked that question the first time I got invited to preach here. Where the heck is that? Beaverdam. But how awesome that God might use a little city like Beaverdam that has got an incredible body of believers that are, listening very carefully, totally sold out to God. No more half-stepping. No more living in complacency or mediocrity. Stepping out and saying, hey, I'm all in. I am sold out for the cause of Christ. I want to see God do great things in my life, but also in the life of this church and life of my family. I am sold out. We're no longer stepping halfway through this life, just getting halfway there. I want us to go all the way. You know what I'm asking? I'm asking you to say, I do too. I do too. The biggest issue in churches in America today is two things. First and foremost, it's surrender. We have a hard time surrendering. We really do. Listen very carefully. So does a pastor. You know what I need to do every morning? Get up and say, God, I'm surrendering it all to you. I also say, God, if there's something that I haven't surrendered, if somebody I'm not sure that I haven't surrendered, there's something I don't know I haven't surrendered, make that apparent to me, if you will. Because I want to see God in my life every day. I don't want to do what Gary can do. I want to do what God might do through this life, totally surrendered to him, totally given over to him. Can you imagine for just a moment if we as a body of believers got totally sold out? I surrendered everything, God, that everything I know how to do. And I'm doing it daily because it needs to be a daily process. But God, now I'm surrendered to you. I also want to do the other thing that we have a hard time doing. I want to obey. God, I want to obey what you call me to do. God, I want to be filled up with the Holy Spirit because I'm tired, I'm tired of just living kind of this dismal life as good as it gets, really. There's no end to how good God wants to bless us, how God wants to take us to the mountaintops. He also wants to give us that mountaintop experience when we're in the valley. I got joy, and the Satan's not going to take that joy away from me. We need to realize that God has called you and I out to do incredible things. The question for you and I today, just like the essence of that emergency I faced back in 2008, I had to make adjustments. The question for you and I, am I willing to make a drastic adjustment in my life? Am I willing to do that for the cause of Christ? God will always give glory where he gets glory. Did you hear that? 
God will always give glory where he gets glory. Is God being glorified in my life? Am I living my life in such a way as that God's getting the glory? Not Gary. Not Mr. Stewart here or Pastor Stewart. God's getting the glory. I want God to get the glory in my life. You know, the Apostle Paul, every time he wrote a letter to one of his churches, every time he wrote one of his epistles, he was saying, I want you to know God. He prayed, I want you to know God. I want you to know God. And he did the very same thing here in Colossians. He told them, hey, listen, I want you to know God. Chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, I anguish over this. I'm striving over this. I'm struggling over this whole thing about you, the church of Colossae, that you might know God. Guess what? This pastor's struggling with you too. I'm not struggling for you because we all have our issues. I got my own. But I'm struggling alongside you. I want us all to grow for the glory of God. I want to see God's glory come down like we've never seen before. And we've seen it here. I share that with you. We've seen it over and over and over again. I'm thankful for that. I'm here to tell you because I'm pretty well connected to a lot of pastors. I don't see anybody seeing what we've seen here. Nobody. I came from a huge church with TV. You know, we, we never saw what I've seen here at Beaverdam. We saw a couple of things, but never saw anything close to what God has done in this church. He's done that because of your heart, your desire to be servants for the cause of Christ, your desire to be surrendered and to be obedient. We've seen God do that over and over and over again. I've shared with you many times my biggest prayer in my life is to stay out of his way. God, let me stay out of your way. Use me, God, if I can be used. But stay out of my way. I had the most precious prayer time this morning. Had four guys this morning. And they came in special this morning just to pray with me. I shared with them this morning. I've shared a little bit with you before. The greatest thing that your pastor can do for this church and for you, you know what it is? It's to have an intimate relationship with God. To have a growing, intimate relationship with God. That I'm closer to God every single day. Why? Because I'm going to be a vessel that he can use. If I'm not growing closer to God, if I'm not intimate with God, I'm not a vessel worthy of standing in this pulpit or being your pastor. Listen very carefully. If you're not intimate with God, if you're not growing your faith, you know what? You're not the instrument that God can use in your sphere of influence, in your family, as a parent, or as a mother, or as a father, or a husband, or wife, or as a leader in industry. God has called you and I out for a very specific purpose. That purpose is to bring glory to Him. You know, I love the fact that Paul knew what we needed. And so he gives us here this morning, we're going to look at the scriptures in just a moment, three specific steps to come to know God in a greater way. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me, if you will, to Colossians chapter 2, beginning with verse 6. Colossians 2, beginning with verse 6. If you find your way there this morning, stand with me this morning, if you will, out of reverence and respect to the reading of God's holy word. Colossians 2, verse 6. It says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Three major steps that Paul gives us this morning. Verse 1, walk in him. Walk in Jesus Christ. Verse number 7, the second step. Be rooted and built up and established in your faith. And then the third step, beware. Beware that nobody robs you of your birthright. Nobody robs you of the things that God would have you do. Those three steps are going to help us to know God, but it's also going to help us to be all that God wants us to be. Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading of your holy word. Father, thank you. For Jesus Christ, we pray these things in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Verse 6, step number 1. Walk in him. You know, I've titled that little thought. The pursuit of God is the chase of a lifetime. There's no greater reward you'll ever get than running this race, chasing after God every day. Seeking him with all you have. It tells us in the scripture, when I seek him and search for him with all my heart, what's going to happen? I'm going to find him. God is going to give us an incredible opportunity. 
I want you to know, too, that walking is an action verb. It's an action word. It doesn't say sit down. Sit down with Christ. It says walk with Him. Walk in Him. You know, I love the book of Acts. But you know, the book of Acts was named the book of Acts for a specific reason. It tells us about how to have church. How God intended His church to be. It's not the book of thoughts. It's not the thoughts of this, uh, the book of plans. It's a book of Acts. God has a very intentional thought and mission for the church. Let me ask you maybe this hard question. How many opportunities have you missed because you're not walking where you need to be walking with the Lord? I've had them. And I look back and realize that. I want you to think about this. The Battle of Jericho, we're doing the book of Joshua on our Tuesday morning Bible study at 6 a.m. That's an advertisement, guys. But I want you to think about this. The nation of Israel sat in the desert for 40 days because they did not walk with God. Their faith was not there. They didn't trust God. They were more worried about some giants and some fortified positions than they were God. When Joshua finally, all the, all the men that were over 20 years old finally died off and it was time for them to cross the River Jordan, Moses was not going. Moses had died. Joshua was not a leader. God told Joshua, I want you to be strong and of good courage. Joshua was. He crossed over that River Jordan. He took on that battle of Jericho. I've, I've been on Jericho before. I've looked up on, from the top of that hill there. The walls are gone. But on top of that hill looking down, you can see the Jordan River over there. It's less than a half a mile. You can actually see the river. You know, so here's, a, here's all those Canaanites in the battle in, at the city of Jericho looking down and sees the whole nation of Israel, two or three million people across the river there. Here they come across the river and they camp right in front of them. And God gives Joshua the plan. Joshua wasn't sure. He thought maybe he was going to have to be the tactical strategic man and plan that battle. But God had a plan for him. God told him right up front, and I believe with all my heart, God would have told, John, told Moses the same thing 40 years earlier. I've already given you the battle of Jericho. I've already given you the city of Jericho and all the mighty men. God told Joshua before he ever got there, I've already given it to you. It's already yours. And so then God told Joshua this really strange plan. I want you to walk around the city once a day for seven days. On the seventh day, I want you to walk around it seven times. I'm sure Joshua was sitting there thinking, okay, I don't know if my, my general is going to like this idea, but okay, God, I believe you. And he trusted him. Then he told the generals. Then they did that. I want you to think about this for just a second. Jericho was not a tactical battle strategic-wise. Jericho was an obedience strategy. Okay? How do we fight our battles here today? By walking in obedience. Why do we struggle so much in this world? Because we're not being obedient. Why do we have so many issues in our life? Because we're not being obedient. This breaks my heart. Well, there's entirely too many people living underneath their birthright. They're born-again Christians. I already shared that this morning. They have this incredible life up here. Scripture tells us in Romans, Romans 6, 4, it says, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we, even so we, even so we walk in newness of life. God has given you and I this incredible brand new life. All we need to do is claim it, receive it, walk in it. But it's a struggle, I'm here to tell you. And it breaks my heart. Many of you know some folks. Maybe you've been there before yourselves. There's a lot of people that have received Jesus Christ, but they just haven't claimed the promised land. A lot of people think that crossing that Jordan River going to Jericho was a, a, a beautiful picture of salvation. No, it wasn't a picture of salvation. Them leaving Egypt 40 years prior to that, that was a picture of salvation. When God used Moses to lead them out of slavery, God uses Jesus Christ to lead you and I out of slavery. Entering into the promised land, listen very carefully, entering into the promised land for the Israelites 40 years after they left Egypt is a picture of receiving the riches of Christ. They're receiving the promised land, the riches that God had promised them all these years. You have riches promised in your life. You have a life out there that God says he wants you to live and to have and to receive and to appropriate in your life. We don't need to be living in defeat. <coughs> There's a number of people, men and women, that I know 
And it breaks my heart when I hear their story about how they were brutalized, abused, forsaken, beaten, scorned as a young person. Many times, unfortunately, by the person that had the exact opposite responsibility to build them up and to encourage them. But that person didn't have Christ. That person also did not know what it truly meant to be a mom or dad or an uncle or an aunt. And so, unfortunately, that person today is living in shame, in guilt, with an absolute insecure feeling about themselves. They have no self-esteem. Why? Because who would ever want me? Because I'm damaged goods. Listen very carefully. In God's kingdom, there's no such thing as damaged goods, okay? God sees you as precious child. Just like us that are parents and realize if our kids start going the wrong direction, doesn't mean I'm going to give up on them. I'm going to try even harder. Doesn't mean that I don't care about that child anymore. God is so much higher than us. He loves us all. And he keeps gently saying, listen, because you now have Jesus Christ, I have raised you to walk in newness of life. I have given you a brand new life. Claim it. Now, as I stand here, I realize that's easier said than done, but listen very carefully. It's true. It's God's truth. What am I going to do with God's truth? I'm going to live my life to claim it. I'm going to live my life to realize that God has this incredible life behind me. I'm not going to live my life looking back. I'm going to try as best I can and keep begging God to give me freedom. Give me freedom of these things. You know what he says? I'll give you freedom. That whole chapter of Romans 6 talks about the fact that sin no longer has dominion over us. Sin no longer has any power over us because of Jesus Christ. I don't have to live in the past. I don't have to live in this essence of all these sinful things that have entered into my mind because Satan keeps trying to beat me down. <coughs> God has given me victory. I'm going to claim that victory. Jeremiah 29, 11. You know that one. For I know the thoughts I have to, declares the Lord. Thoughts of prosper and thoughts of hope. Prosper your future. And possibilities for peace. God has given you and I an incredible opportunity to walk in His plans. Today is the day that we make that decision. I'm moving forward. I'm going to drop that bag of rocks today as best I can. I'm going to seek some help. I'm going to seek God's Word. God's Word heals. Nothing comforts that God's Word either. From now on, when I believe I'm going to start to look backwards, I'm going to pull out God's Word and start reading about something forward, what God has for me in the future. Listen very carefully. Pursuing God is truly the chase of a lifetime. Pursuing God is the greatest endeavor we'll ever have. I've seen over and over men in our church that have gotten more serious about their Bible. You know what? It's changed their life. They've told me. It's changed my life getting in God's Word. I'm reading the Bible today like I've never read it before. I'm seeing things I've never seen before. I want to see God in greater ways. And so what do they do? They get into the Word even more. Realize that God has changed me just by reading His Word and realizing who He is. God does not want you to wonder about Him. He doesn't want you to wonder about Him. He wants you to know Him. He wants you to live with Him. He wants you to receive all that He has to give to you. We need to chase God like we never have before. We need to make the decision that we're going to seek after God. Our decisions, listen very carefully, need to be based on our destination, not on the distractions and circumstances of our life. Our decisions need to be made on the fact that one day I'm going home. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to make all my decisions. I'm going to live my life that I might realize heaven right now and live my life with all that joy. You know, it's interesting, at the end of Moses' life, he realized the heartbeat of his nation there. He'd been a great leader, been used of God in a great way. He didn't want to do it. He tried to talk himself out, talk God out of sending him. In fact, Moses carries an unfortunate title sometimes as the whining prophet because God told him to go, and he had all kinds of excuses why he didn't want to go back to Egypt. But at the end of Moses' life, he realized what was most important in life. He realized all the way along the way. God loved Moses. God blessed Moses. But Moses said this to the entire nation of Israel at the end of his life. 
He says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you. That I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Therefore, choose life that you both and your descendants may live. Moses was telling them, hey, it's your choice. You can do what you want. But I'm telling you right now, I'm laying before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life. You know what God's telling you in day? Choose life. Talked about Joshua last week, but remember Joshua at the end of his life? Once again, just like Moses, talking to the nation of Israel, he realized they were already sliding backwards. Many of them had already turned their back on God, but he elected out of all of them, talked to you guys, go worship who you want to worship. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You may have noticed the title of the sermon today. I choose to obey God because it's the most consistent way to express my identity with Christ. You're going to hear that a lot. I choose to obey God because it's the most consistent way for me to express my identity with Christ. The second step here that Paul would have us understand, verse 7, he says, Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. God is in the life enlargement. That's what it's talking about here. God wants to grow us. God receives us. God accepts us just as we are. We don't need to have this clean slate in our life before we can become a Christian. We come to know Jesus Christ just as we are. Billy Graham's favorite imitation song, Just As I Am. Just as I am. God receives us just as we are. But God wants us to grow. He doesn't want to leave us the way he found us. He has such a better life for us. God is in the life enlargement business. I'm talking here about growing. I'm talking about roots and wings. John 15:5 says this. Jesus is speaking. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. One of the great ways that you and I can kind of look in the mirror and decide, hey, am I following Christ? Am I growing in Christ? Am I seeing God moving me in a powerful way? is turn around look behind you, away from the mirror, and see if there's anybody following you. See if you're seeing any fruit from your life. Well, what does that mean, Pastor Fruit? It means the way you carry yourself, the way you live, is anybody else's life being impacted in a positive way for Jesus Christ. That's fruit. One of the things I believe that God would use all of us to do in a greater way is to live in a more profound, pronounced, intentional way in this world that people would truly see Christ in us. We wouldn't be bashful about speaking about Jesus Christ. We wouldn't be bashful about sharing the gospel. We'd tell people about Jesus Christ. We'd use every single opportunity to bring Christ into the conversation. I love what Charles Spurgeon told all these little pastors one time about how to preach the Bible. They said, well, how do you figure out what you're going to preach? Charles Spurgeon looked at me and he said, hey, I pick out any scripture in the, all the Bible. What I do is I preach that scripture, but I draw a line straight to the cross from that scripture. You know, in every conversation we have, every time we have an association with somebody new or, or an old friend, we ought to be thinking about drawing that line today from that conversation to Jesus Christ and the cross, especially if they're not Christians or you don't know if they're Christians. You know, this would be a good little inventory for you in mind. Kind of think of right now about maybe your top five or ten friends. Do I know without a doubt whether they're a Christian or not? Do I know that? Have I taken the time to ask the question? Maybe some of them you already know because they bring it up. You brought it up before and they're going to the same church as you or a different church and you know that. But how about the friends you have not talked to about Jesus Christ? What's holding us back? Why don't we do that? I'm here to tell you it's allowing the Holy Spirit to have control again to get out of the way, to surrender everything. Don't quench the Holy Spirit because we're so concerned about whatever might be the world. And I don't believe a lot of us quench the Holy Spirit because of a mean spirit, because we've got a bad spirit. I believe it's we just get so busy, we don't realize that, hey, this is the divine appointment right now. I miss it. <laughs> Your pastor prays for divine appointments all the time. But you know why I pray even more than that? God, help me to be awake and sensitive to the fact when you put a divine appointment in my path. Don't let me miss it. You can pray all day for divine appointments, but if you're not really asking God to help you and realize the divine appointments, you're going to miss them. I've missed them before. We need to be focused and have our priorities right. I've shared this with many of our men before. Priorities are huge. Well, what kind of priorities are you talking about, Pastor? God, number one. God needs to be number one in every way. 
People need to look at you and realize, I can tell that guy's priority is God. God, God. He's always talking about God. The second thing needs to be our spouse if we're married. The third thing is our family. And after that, everything else. I mean everything else. Our number one priority needs to be in that order. God, spouse, family. Doesn't mean I'm going to spend the most amount of time because typically most of us work jobs and our employers are expecting probably 40 or 50 hours a week in our jobs, if not more. You need to get those hours, but listen, even while I worked those 40 or 50 hours, even before as a pastor, God was part of my 40 or 50 hours. He was with me in my job. I took him to work every day. You know what that did? It gave me a whole better day. But it also, instead of just thinking about serving people food and taking complaints because it didn't come out hot or something like that, I realized I got a whole bigger purpose today than that. I have an incredible purpose this day. I believe if we look back on our life, and we realize some of the bigger mistakes we made in life, we'd realize that, you know, I made that mistake because my priorities weren't in the right order. I did not have God in the first place in my life. I did not have my spouse in the first place in that time. It's so easy, and listen very carefully, the enemy wants you to mix up your priorities. We need to be diligent about our faith because God is in a life in large business and he wants to grow us. Diligence, listen very carefully, is practical obedience in action. It's practical obedience in action. What does that mean? It means that we need to make sure that we're walking obedience in the right way. Number one, we need to make time for God's Word. We need to spend time in the Bible. This is a tough one. We need to choose carefully the sources of our information. God's word first, but who else is pouring information in your life that you don't really need? Who's pouring information in your life that's not edifying you or anybody else? I love the fact of God being very specific to the Apostle Paul talking about speaking. Ephesians 4.29, some of you have that memorized. It says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to hearers. I love that. If it's not something nice, don't say it. I've told you all, I've told our guys before too, one of the easiest things to begin looking like you're godly, keep your mouth shut. Think about that. I've learned that over the years. You know, God gives us our thoughts. We don't want to go too negative on our thoughts too, but God gives us our thoughts, but just keep it yourself. And I want to think about Ephesians 4.29 on two, two counts. First of all, from the hearer's perspective, I don't need to hear that stuff. I don't need to have that garbage coming in my mouth, in my ears. You know, unfortunately, some people think that you just have garbage can ears. And they're going to pour all kinds of stuff in your ears that you really don't need to hear. I can't affect this. I can't really do anything about this. So, you know, I just assume you're not telling me that stuff. Listen very carefully. You want to shut down a gospel very quickly? This is how to do it. If you know somebody in your life that's kind of just always knows everything, wants to talk about everything, other people's business, best thing you can do is listen to them for just a second and say, hey, hold on a minute. I can tell that really bothers you. I really can, and I love you. So let's take a moment right now and let's pray about it. I'm talking about in the hallways here, in the street corners, wherever it might be. Let's pray right now. Let's pray about that. And you pray with them. When you're all done, I said, you know, what we need to take that priority, let's go talk to that person about it. I'll go with you if you like. Or let's go talk to the pastor about it or the Sunday school teacher or deacon about it, whatever it might be. But listen very carefully. You know what will happen? That person will not come back to you with that garbage anymore. Why? Because they realize you, don't, you make them feel a little uncomfortable. I'm praying about this thing because, you know, this person doesn't want to hear it. It's amazing. You know how I hear gossip in the church? It's usually ramped up to a pretty good level, and somebody, one of my leaders, will come to me, hey, you got this little issue over here. Well, thanks for telling me. They won't ever come and say it straight to me. And that most of the time, sometimes, but most of the times, it doesn't have anything to do with me. It has to do with someone else or some other situation. But they won't come to me. Why? Because more than likely, they realize it would get resolved. You know what gossip is, really? Gossip is saying something and getting out before it's realized it is not true. Gossip saying something before people realize it's not true. The other part is being the person that perpetrates these things and shares. It's not edifying. The scripture is very clear. 
that what needs to come out of our mouth needs to build up people, edify them. But it also needs to share the grace of Jesus Christ. I see Jesus in you. Everything comes out of your mouth. I don't see garbage. I see these things. Another thing that we need to understand about walking in obedience is we need to guard our thought life. That's tough to do now. You can't watch a sporting event on TV without seeing commercials with half-clad ladies on it, advertising underwear, all these things. So we need to guard our thought life. We need to use our scriptures, our God's holy word, as a filter for our life. We need to serve. We need to serve. Grove Avenue Baptist Church has started a parking lot ministry. The guys loved it. They really loved it. You know, one of them said, hey, Pastor, can we get kind of like some orange fluorescent vests so we don't get hit? Absolutely. I'll tell you a funny story. Came out here, and I shared that same thought with our guys when I first got here. said, how about if we get some orange vests for you? Pastor, do we have to wear the orange vest? These guys that resembled work to them, you know, a lot of them worked on the roads. They had to wear these things. They didn't want to wear those things. But I had a guy, this is one of the smartest men, great Bible scholar that went to that church, and he had a Ph.D. Had a Ph.D., and he wanted to be on the parking lot committee. Of all things, a Ph.D. in the parking lot? I was thinking about this. What a testimony that was. I'm, I'm talking about today to you. A guy with a Ph.D. wanted to be on the parking lot team. You know, how far below his educational status was that? But you know what? He realized there was a need. And I'll tell you someone else that was precious about that. He realized that being a parking lot attendant helped him maintain a servant's heart because he was serving. He was serving at kind of a pretty easy, really a mundane job in, in some ways, but he was serving there so he could maintain that servant's heart and serve the people at church. There was a need and he wanted to serve them. I choose to obey because it's the most consistent way to express my identity with Christ. The last part of verse 7, it talks about abounding in it with thanksgiving. That we need to grow and then be thankful for that. Characteristic mark of a growing Christian is a grateful heart. It's the inevitable result of living a Christ-centered life. We're going to be grateful. I'm here to tell you my life is overwhelming right now with how God has blessed me over and over. And I'm still missing the mark. I want to go do even greater work as far as living in the center of God's will. But a thankful heart truly adds clarity to the life of a believer. Let me share the last thought very quickly here in verse 8. It says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty seed according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the word, and not according to Christ. You know what this says? It says, Satan always exploits, listen very carefully, the ignorant. Satan always exploits ignorance. If we don't know God's word, if we're not standing strong, if we're not growing, we are an easy target for Satan. I've seen it over and over. Men in this church serving faithfully, but they take their eyes off God for just a few moments and don't think you're above that. I'm here to tell you, we are no match for Satan. We aren't. Absolutely no match but for Christ. But on our own, without Christ, we stand no match. The devil is going to have his way with you and I when we take our eyes off Christ. I want you to notice someone here, and it's a beautiful picture, word picture here. Beware lest anyone cheat you. Cheat you literally means in the Greek, plundering cargo off of a ship. It means depriving people that that ship was taking those things, those goods, and those valuables. Plundering things that are rightfully by your birthright yours. But Satan will take those off of your vessel. He'll take them out of your life that you end up not having the valuable things that Christ has for you. Listen very carefully. Every one of us have been deceived. Some more than others. Some little ways. But we've all been deceived. We've deceived in the way we spend our time. We've deceived the way we spend our money. Deceived in the way that we focus in our priorities in life. But God's telling us right here, you don't need to be cheated. Your life does not need to be plundered. Things that are yours, rightfully yours by God, do not need to be robbed from you. I love what it says in 2 Timothy. It says, be, this is Paul speaking, Be diligent to come to me quickly. He's talking to Timothy. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed to Thessalonica. Demas was a faithful server, servant. We see him in Colossians and Philemon. Talked about what a great servant he was. But he fell back into the world and left Paul, left the ministry. It's amazing what happens in churches today. We were talking about a little while ago in the prayer meeting about the back door. How many people get excited about church? 
but all of a sudden fall off. Not necessarily because something went wrong. They just fell off because their rest or their Saturday activities or Sunday activities are more important. Nothing, nothing is more important than God. He's very clear too. He says, do not forsake the gathering together. He's saying, don't forsake going to church. I believe with all my heart, this is a defining moment for our church. We've had a couple of them over the years. I've shared a couple of them over the years. But I believe God today is wanting to see us mount up with wings like eagles. We're waiting on the Lord, but also in the meantime, we're going to begin taking inventory in our life and realizing that I need to surrender in a great way. There's things I need to begin walking in obedience to that I understand, but I just haven't done it. I believe God wants to do a marvelous work. He already has in this church, but I believe there's so much more. And I believe that God wants to take this church and change this world. Very quickly in conclusion, if you have your little insert there, I told you I had some announcements. I believe right now that we're going to transition here in some neat ways. We've been planning these things for about the last six months. But I want you to hear about these events coming up here. On June 11th, we have a GO conference. And I'm inviting our entire church. And I don't see any reason unless you're forsaken for, uh, from being here. For, uh, we can't make it because you're in the hospital or someone or sick. But from 9 to noon, we're going to have some special guest speakers here at our church telling us and teaching us how to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these guys are good. They've been doing it for years. They've got an incredible gift. So I want you to be part of that. We'll have a little quick breakfast in the morning and then have almost three hours where they're just learning how to share the gospel. On June 12th, you remember last year when we had the 40 days of prayer? Well, I want to do 60 days of prayer this summer. And we're going to have a focus on prayer and missions. My thought was, let's just let God saturate us. Let God's holy word, let God the Holy Spirit just wash over us that we might truly be the people God called us out to be. On that very same day, I got a very special picnic for us. We got some food trucks lined up. You've seen it before where you go up and buy a sandwich or buy a taco or whatever. We're also going to have an ice cream truck, guys. Uh, we're going to have them parked down in the parking lot. We're going to have tables outside, weather permitting. And um, we want to have a very special fellowship picnic time after church here. We'll have the food. If you want to bring your own lunch, that's fine as well, too. But we'll have those food trucks here that you can purchase a meal out there, sit down with your families, but thought that might be fun. From June 12th to August 12th, I am praying right now that we'd see at least 100,000. Let's just say 1,000. 100 souls. Say for next summer will be 1,000, okay? But. I want to pray that we'd see 100 souls saved this summer. Between June 12th and August 12th, we have our lake baptism two weeks after that. And, um, but I want to challenge our church to be intentional, to be deliberate, to be Holy Spirit-filled as we go out in these fields this summer as you operate in your sphere of influence. But God has given us an incredible opportunity, I believe, as this church, and I want to see God glorified this summer like never before.